0: Welcome to the radio broadcast of Pineview Baptist Church, a growing community of faith in the Belfast community of Goldsboro. We are located at 3357 US Highway 117 North in Goldsboro. We invite you to find out more about our congregation by visiting us at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. Join us now for our weekly message. Pineview gathers for worship each Sunday, beginning at 9.30 a.m. for morning prayer. Sunday school classes for all ages begin at 9.45, followed by our worship gathering at 11 a.m. We also meet each Wednesday night for Bible study and prayer at 7 p.m. in our church fellowship hall. We are located at 3357 U.S. Highway 117 North in Goldsboro, North Carolina. We are a Southern Baptist congregation dedicated to expository preaching and biblical worship. We invite you to join us next Sunday.
1: All right, brothers and sisters, if you have your copy of God's Word, I encourage you to open it up to the 18th chapter of the book of Psalms. Buckle up. Let's see how far we get today. I don't anticipate getting uh, much past verse 25 or 26, but we will see. We've already read our scripture today. That was our call to worship. And so we don't have to pause to do that. So what we're going to do is we're going to pause for a moment of prayer, asking God to give us understanding and illumination. Let's pray. Now, as we turn our attention to God's word, Lord, we ask you to open the eyes of our hearts, give us understanding Give us an enlightenment. May we not only hear, but may we apply and be doers of God's Word. It is in the name of Christ we pray. Amen and amen. I was born in October of 1982, and our family was very blessed um, early on. I, I didn't have to go to daycare. Um, I went to granddaddy's house. And so for the first, what, four or five years of my life, most days I was I was at granddaddy's. I was hanging out with granddaddy. My grandmother worked at a daycare, uh, but she would finish up early and she'd be home in the afternoon. So a lot of times it was just me and granddaddy all day. And I got some stories I could tell, but I won't uh, today because I don't have time. But one story that I am going to tell because I believe it's a great illustration for what we're going to talk about today is the fact that. My grandfather had a profound influence on my life. Now, he passed away when I was seven, so I don't have any deep, vivid, and rich memories of him, but I do remember him. The thing I remember most is that those days at granddaddy's house were very special during the summer, and that is because my grandfather was a baseball fan. He loved baseball, and so do I. And he loved one team in particular, and that was the Chicago Cubs. And back in the 80s, they didn't have lights on Wrigley Field. And so all their home games were day games up until 1988. That was the first time they installed stadium lighting and had night games at Wrigley Field. So all afternoon, I'd watch ball with Grandpa. And I remember the early 80s Cubs, the Andre Dawson's and the the Ryan Sandberg's. And I I hold in my hand right here one of my prized possessions that sits on my shelf there in my study. It is a rated, a graded Greg Maddox rookie card. And he was a Chicago Cub. And most people remember him as being an Atlanta Brave, but he's a Cub. I don't care what you say. (laughs) The soundtrack of my childhood was narrated by Harry Carey, and I remember that big, loud, bombastic voice, and he would say, holy cow, every time a home run went over the fence. And I remember one thing in particular. I remember Harry Carey saying after a very disappointing loss for the Chicago Cubs, he said, as sure as God made green apples, one day, The Chicago Cubs will play for a World Series. And I held on to that. But to be a Cubs fan is to live a lifetime of misery and pain and suffering. I heard someone say, uh, somebody posted, yeah, try being a Lions fan. Somebody posted on social media something that got me good a few weeks ago. They said men choose their favorite sports teams when they're about four years old and they let that dictate their happiness for the rest of their lives. Can I get an amen? (laughs) Is that what it's like to be an NC State fan? (laughs) I had to go there. Anyway, as sure as God made green apples in 2016, the Chicago Cubs won the World Series. And if you walk into my office right behind my chair, you'll see this hanging on the wall because that is a special, special moment for me. Brothers and sisters, I cried that night. Not because of just how happy I was, but because I kept thinking, I wish my granddaddy could have seen this. I wish my granddaddy would have lived long enough to see that moment. Because see, he lived 80 some years and he never saw them in the World Series. He never saw them win. And so I was so excited when that happened and I was so overcome with elation and with joy that we won. We were victorious. I say all that to say that when I read Psalm 18, I see a psalm of victory. A psalm where King David is saying, look, my God wins. My God is victorious and I will exalt His name. There's that same sense of elation, a jubilant shout of victory. As a Cubs fan, we have this thing called flying the W. And we have a big white flag with a giant W. And after every victory, we, we fly our W's. We put out our flags. And I think that's what King David is doing here. He's flying a victory flag. Our outline today is in the Version app if you're following along. But before we get to the outline, let's talk a little bit about the historical setting. The superscription of Psalm 18, if you have one in your Bible, gives us the context, the historical setting in which David wrote these words. Let's read that um, superscription together. It may be the same in your Bible, it may not, but it says in mind, "...to the choir master, a psalm of David, the servant of the Lord who addressed the words of this song to the Lord on the day when the Lord rescued him from the hand of all of his enemies." and from the hand of Saul. And so after fighting for decades, the wars are over. David finally experiences rest from his enemies and from battle. They won. And to reinforce the historical background, 2 Samuel 22 contains Psalm 18 almost word for word. The psalm came near the end of David's life and he's reflecting back over a life of, of turmoil, of conflict, of times of battle, but also of praise to God for victory. And that sense of elation in Psalm 18 is even greater because the victory of Jesus shines forth throughout these words. You see, if you know how to look, I say this to you all the time, you can find Jesus in every page and on every line of God's Word. And it's screaming at us in Psalm 18. Jesus is bursting through the seams. Here's our truth today that we're trying to unpack from this chapter of Scripture. And this will be our truth for the next couple of weeks, depending on how far we get today. David rejoices in a faithful God who has rescued him from his enemies throughout his life. God brings great salvation and steadfast love to his people. The writers of the New Testament certainly saw this psalm as being about Christ. And we see that in a couple of different places in Scripture. The writer of Hebrews quotes Psalm 18 and verse 2 as the words of Christ in Hebrews 2 and 13. In Romans 15 Verses 8 and 9, Paul quotes verse 49 of Psalm 18 as the words of the Lord Jesus Himself to show that salvation was for the Gentiles all along. Let's look at that verse of Scripture, Romans 15, verse 8, For I tell you that Christ became a servant to the circumcised to show God's truthfulness in order to confirm the promises given to the patriarchs and in order that the Gentiles might glorify God for His mercy, as it is written, and here's Psalm 18 and verse 49, Therefore I will praise you among the Gentiles and sing to your name. And so as we read this psalm, the victory of our Lord Jesus is on full display. Commenting on this passage, H.C. Leupold said that David was given victory to make possible the greater victories of His greater Son. Amen and amen. And so let's jump into our outline today. Like I said, it's available for you in the version event. And the first point, and it may be the only one that we really get through today, is David's praise. David's praise. Now the first thing I see in verses 1 through 3 as we're looking at this psalm is that David's worship this outpouring of beautiful language, this praise that is coming forth from him is in response to the character of God. It is a response to who God is and what God has accomplished in David's life. Verse 1, he says, I love you, O Lord, my strength. A response of genuine devotion and affection. Now, I don't know how you are, but I don't tell people I love them if I don't mean it. It's weird. You know, I mean... And I don't say it to a whole lot of people because, really, I mean, I love my wife, I love my daughter, I love my mom and dad, but beyond that, you ask me to die for somebody, and and my list is gonna be real, real short. But we throw that word around a lot, and I think we cheapen it, we demean it. But David is saying, Lord, I love you. You are my source, you are my all. He says, You are my strength. David's love identifies him immediately as a man after God's own heart, and he was called that in Scripture. He loved the God who had come to his aid and who had rescued him time and again. And so he refers to the Lord as his source of physical strength. My strength, my God, I love you. And now he points us to the character of God. And so let's look at God's character. David stacks up a a host of names, eight of them to be exact, to say who the Lord is to him. Now let's look at it in verses 1 and 2. He calls him my strength, my rock, my fortress, my deliverer, my rock of refuge, my shield the horn of my salvation, my stronghold. Notice how he repeats that pronoun over and over again. My, my, my Lord, my God, my strength, my protector, my stronghold. David claims the Lord as his own. He has a personal relationship with God And that list includes almost all the names that focus on God's protection and His salvation in the Psalms. No other psalm has as many beautifully descriptive uh, 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 explanations of the character of God as this particular one. And because of His love that we see in verse 1, He gathers them all in one place and He lifts up the greatness of God. He wants us to have this same love and appreciation for the God that He knows and loves. To know God personally as Lord, as His own personal Savior and Shepherd. But to know Him providentially as our source, our provider, our defender, our protector. Commenting on verses 4 and 5, Dr. Tom Constable writes these words, Death had previously had David in his grip, like rope binds a prisoner. The forces of ungodliness terrified David, like when one finds himself in a wadi, which is a dry stream bed, during a spring thunderstorm, and discovers a wall of water coming towards him. He pictured himself trying to pick his steps through a field of traps that hunters had set to snare animals. He was in a very difficult situation at one point in his life, but God had been faithful to him, and he now says, Lord, I love You because You are my God. You are my stronghold. You are my rock. David's praise was in response to the character of God, but let's look at our second point today, which is God's deliverance. And I can assure you this will be the last one we get through. (laughs) God's deliverance was firstly a response to David's cry for help. Read with me verse 6 of Psalm 18. In my distress I called upon the Lord. To my God I cried for help. From His temple He heard my voice, and my cry to Him reached His ears. David feels that he's being dragged away to death, or at very least he's thinking back to when he felt that way. And as he's being dragged away, towards impending doom, he stops and he cries out to God and his cry was heard. Prayer. The answer is prayer. you need more holiness in your life? Have you prayed about it? Do you need your faith strengthened? Have you prayed about it? Do we truly want God's Spirit to guide us and to send revival, to pour out His Spirit and and cause repentance to, to, to rush over this nation? If we truly want those things, then prayer is the answer. It's one reason why we're doing what we're doing. We want more people here to gather together on Sunday mornings for a time of corporate prayer, intense corporate prayer. Prayer is... The answer. And we are encouraged today to know that God hears the cries of His people. He promises that. And He's moved to respond when we pray. It was Billy Graham who said that heaven is full of answers to prayer for which no one ever bothered to ask. We're to be a people of prayer. And we see in God's Word that God hears our cries for help, and that is a response from God when His people call out. But how does God respond? How does God respond when His people cast their cares at His feet? Well, we see that in verse 7 down through verse 19. God responds in power, in might. Let's read this section. We have to, we just absolutely have to. Verse 7 down through verse 19, and pay attention to the language here. Then the earth reeled and rocked. The foundations also of the mountains trembled and quaked because he was angry. Smoke went up from his nostrils, devouring fire from his mouth. Glowing coals flamed forth from him. He bowed the heavens and came down. Thick darkness was under his feet. He rode on a cherub and flew. He came swiftly on the wings of the wind. He made darkness His covering, His canopy around Him, thick clouds, dark with water. Verse 12, out of the brightness before Him, hailstones and coals of fire broke through His clouds. The Lord also thundered in the heavens, and the Most High uttered His voice, hailstones and coals of fire. He sent out His arrows and scattered them. He flashed forth lightnings and routed them and the channels of the sea were seen, and the foundations of the world were laid bare. At your rebuke, O Lord, at the blast of the breath of your nostrils. 16, He sent from on high. He took me. He drew me out of many waters. He rescued me from my strong enemy and from those who hated me. For they were too mighty for me. They confronted me in the day of my calamity, but the Lord was my support Verse 19, He brought me out into a broad place. He rescued me because He delighted in me. Do you see that beautiful language? We don't serve a weak Savior, but a strong and a mighty King who responds to the needs of His people in power, in might. Because He hears our cry, He knows our faith and our trust in Him, and He is moved to respond. I love the imagery that David uses here. Picture a violent storm with lightning. We had one the other night. Man, we had a good one. When was it? Friday night? It was Friday night. I mean, I had a a swamp in my front yard when it was done, and the lightning, it was beautiful. But it's also a terrifying thing. You don't want to be out in a storm holding a lightning rod when the lightning starts coming down because you're going to die. It's going to kill you. It's going to hurt really, really bad. It's a terrifying thing to be caught off guard and stuck in a storm like that. High winds, torrential rains, black skies, flooding. The sense the terrifying presence of Yahweh. And all of this illustrates God's dramatic intervention in David's life that He's punishing those who opposed His anointed, His servant. So what's the point? What's the point of point number two? Well, Let me sum it up with a quote from Charles Haddon Spurgeon. In his commentary, he wrote that David has in his mind's eye the glorious manifestations of God in Egypt at Sinai and on different occasions to Joshua and the Judges. And he considers that his own case exhibits the same glory of power and goodness and that therefore he may accommodate the descriptions of former displays of the divine majesty into his own hymn of praise. The same God who had rescued the nation of Israel, who had been at work powerfully when they were in Egypt, was powerfully working in David's life. And so he uses much of the same language, the same imagery from that Exodus experience and from the early history of the people of Israel because he sees the same God who had rescued them out of Egypt. He sees the same victory over enemies. He sees it as being on par with these major events in salvation history. The giving of the law, the parting of the Red Sea, the conquest of the land. That imagery is pointing back to that great and mighty God. So why does God respond? And we're going to stop with this right here. Verse 19. Notice, the last part of that verse, because He delighted in me. Now that's a wonderful place to stop. I couldn't have timed it any better. Perfect. Why does God respond, brothers and sisters? Is it because you're a good person? I'm not getting any answers. it because you're a good person. Because there's none righteous. No, not one, right? But God responds because He delights in His children. You are the apple of His eye. You've got a special place in His heart. And so I want to close with the rest of the quote from Spurgeon. Why Jehovah should delight in us is an answerless question. A mystery which angels cannot solve. Believers sit down and inwardly digest the instructive sentence now before us and learn to view the uncaused love of God as the cause of all loving kindness of which we are the partakers. As we close here in verse 19 of Psalm 18, I want to say to you, ponder today, sit down, and ponder why would this God love me? We'll build on that theme and expand on it next week as we continue and we turn our sights, our attention more to that victorious and soon returning king this is God's word it is for us as people say it with me thanks be to God for it heavenly father we love you and we are overwhelmed by the fact that you love us as king David said you delight in us why who am I There is no righteousness in me. There is nothing good in me. Nothing that makes me beautiful or lovely or attractive to the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords. But He has called my name and He has saved me. And today, everything that I have, everything that I could boast in, it's nothing save Christ. And so I pray today that we, like David, would be so enamored with the great love of God and the deliverance that He provides that we too would say, He delights in me. Lord, thank You for Your loving kindness of which we are partakers. It's in the name of Christ we pray. Amen.
0: And amen. If you would like more information about Pineview Baptist Church, we invite you to follow us on social media. Find us on Facebook at facebook.com forward slash Pineview Baptist Goldsboro. There you will find information about our service times, upcoming events, directions to our church, and videos of our Sunday services.